one this year our theme is one and we will be examining one chapter this summer each of our wednesday night speakers will have one chapter assigned to them but for the ministers we will all be devoting time to what i believe to be one of the greatest chapters in all the bible and that is in Romans chapter 8. And in just a moment, we'll begin there. I appreciate that, that Kent uh, took a moment to mention the Spirit. Because if you are uncomfortable with the Spirit, you're going to be uncomfortable all summer long with Romans chapter 8. The Spirit is mentioned over 20 times in this chapter alone. And so I hope when it's all said and done we grow more comfortable with the Spirit and the Spirit's involvement in our lives and embrace the Spirit. I was a Spanish minor in college. I have forgotten more than I remember. But one of the things that I do remember in the Spanish language is that when you write an interrogative sentence, so that's a sentence with a question, a question mark, or when you write an exclamatory sentence, a sentence with an exclamation mark, you put that exclamation mark not only at the end, but also at the beginning. It's a pretty neat thing. I want you to remember that. Verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you feel about people who come to you in the middle of a movie and then want to know what has happened? And they start asking annoying questions like, who's that? Is that the bad guy? Why is that person upset? How do they end up in Hawaii? Or what about when someone interrupts and joins in the middle of a conversation you're having with someone else? Do I really have to start over and explain it all from the beginning Please understand, beginning tonight, we are those annoying people. We are coming to Paul after already seven chapters of super awesome theology and saying, look at that word in verse 1. Therefore? Therefore? What do you mean, therefore? Therefore what? There must have been something important earlier. Tell me what I've missed. I've taught in a Bible class setting the letter of Romans before, and it took me 10 weeks of classes to get through what came before the therefore. So how much time do you got tonight? Assuming you don't want to be here till midnight, although Paul, from what I hear, would be cool with that. I'm going to quickly summarize some important details that came before commit a grave injustice against this text, and undoubtedly miss things that you think to be important in the first seven chapters of Romans. So please forgive me ahead of time. Here's the summary. Buckle up. God said, here is the law on your hearts and on tablets. Follow it completely and you will have life. Don't follow it and you sin, you die, and you are condemned. As it turns out, we all, beginning with Adam, failed. No matter how hard we tried, 
So instead, we get all the bad stuff. We are like pathetic servants of sin. Jesus comes. He follows the law perfectly, and he has life. Yay, I want to be on his team, not Adam's anymore. How do I do that? Well, God offers it as a gift that can be received through faith, just like the faith of Father Abraham. Great, hooray, we are right with God, we are saved, now we can do whatever we want. No, that's the way you used to think, but not anymore. Now that you have believed in Christ and have been baptized into Christ, you should, duh, strive to live like Christ. But, it, but it's so frustrating. I want to do what's right, but I keep doing what's wrong. This weak body of mine with its earthly desires, I need help. I'm a horrible wretch. Boo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. It's okay. That's where Jesus comes in. And that gets us to verse 1. Again, we read, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, no condemnation for even messed up people who say like Paul. Go back one chapter, chapter 7, verse 15. I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Yes, no condemnation, even for troubled people who, like Paul, say, again, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Yes, church, you, we, who are Christians like Paul. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think on this verse for a moment. I'm going to repeat it so you can dwell on it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Are you okay with that? Is, is this verse making you uncomfortable? Do you feel the need to add an asterisk somewhere, a little addendum, something in parentheses after the period? Or can you accept it and believe it in its awesome simplicity? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Older English translations add on to this verse some words of doubtful authenticity found in select manuscripts. They are the words, those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And while Paul will talk about that very topic, the flesh and the spirit, starting in verse 4 and on, it just feels like a forced ad by someone who just couldn't take it. When, when I want to add addendums, when I want to throw up asterisks, it sometimes exposes me as being someone who is super judgy or critical of other Christians. Or sometimes presents me as somebody 
possibly someone who's trying in vain to be justified by works of the law instead of by faith in Christ Jesus. Someone who's trying to work his way to heaven. Let us all instead be more attentive to the Spirit. Listen to his words here on the page just as they are. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Will has got a lot of baggage. It's to be expected. After all, he was the regular target of his stepfather's physical abuse, suffering excessive beatings with a belt, a stick, and even a wrench. And so as one might expect, as a young adult, Will gets into a lot of trouble and he gets, has lots of issues. By court order, Will asked to see a counselor named Sean. And after some difficult early sessions, Will and Sean eventually bond through tough talks, shared experiences, and mutual respect. In their final session together, Sean brings up Will's past, Will's suffering at the hands of an abusive stepfather. Sean then concludes with these words, Will, all of this, it's not your fault. Will brushes off the touchy-feely words saying, yeah, yeah, I know it. But Sean does not back down. He responds, drawing closer and says, look at me. Son, it's not your fault. Will again says, I know. But Sean reiterates, no. No. It's not your fault. Seven more times, Sean will tell Will, the victim of physical abuse, the exact same thing over and over again. It's not your fault until finally Will hears it, knows it, and accepts it. In verse 1, the word no before condemnation is strongly emphatic in the Greek. It is not your ordinary, everyday no, but rather it comes from two Greek words that combine to give the idea of not even one. Listen to me, there is no, not one condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you say, yeah, yeah, I know. No, listen to me. There is no, not one, not a single condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you say, yeah, I get it, I know. No, you're still not listening. <laughs> there is not a single, there is no, not one condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I could repeat it seven more times, but I'm not going to. I hope you're getting the picture. For you who are in Christ Jesus, there is nothing to badmouth, nothing to trash talk. There is no guilt and no shame. There is nothing of which to accuse you. There is nothing, no, not one, not one thing. When you combine, look at, if you have Romans 8 in front of you, do this right now. When you combine verse, it, verse 1, when you combine it with its bookend, verses 38 and 39, and look at 38 and 39, all of the things listed, 
there, the no-not ones, all the things listed that are no, not able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 1, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Then here we go, Spanish minor, you got an exclamation point at the beginning and at the end that says, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are all good, baby. And I hope you hear that. That's quite the long 39 verse sentence to have exclamation points at the beginning and the end. Oh, and one more thing. Can we just take a moment and give warm hugs to the word now? Now in verse 1. There is therefore now. Now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now in the present right here, right now, not to be potentially realized in the future. We're not hoping it all works out. And there's not something we got to do to maybe make it happen. It is not a possibility of what is to come. It is instead a reality of what is right now for all of us in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's awesome. A parable for you. We all live in a place called Flesh Town. It might look like it's all that in a bag of chips, but it's really quite sad. The Father invites us to join him where he is. We'll call it Spirit City. He says it's a pretty neat place. We say, that sounds great, would love to go there. But then we ask, how are we supposed to get all the way from Flesh Town to Spirit City? The father says, I have an idea. I'm going to give you each the same car. And you are responsible for what happens to your car. Whatever happens to it, happens to you. The name of the car, we're going to call it the Law Mobile. And you can get in it and drive it all the way to Spirit City. In fact, it's the only way to get there. By using the lawmobile. The lawmobile is perfect. It's a good vehicle. Nothing wrong with it at all. The issue is with the drivers. We start swerving this way and that way. That's what they call sin over there in Spirit City. But we just call it having a good time here in Fleshtown. Before it's all said and done, we'll drive that lawmobile off of some cliff or into some wall. And well, that's all she wrote. Meanwhile, back in Spirit City, the father looks at his watch and says, are they coming or not? Well, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son to Fleshtown to bring them here. So the son shows up, he gets in his own lawmobile, and he starts heading in the right direction straight towards Spirit City. Not even the tiniest swerve or wiggle at all. We're intrigued by him and start to follow near him in our own lawmobile, but of course we're still all over the place, dirt, gravel, fields, woods, places where the lawmobile was never meant to go. But the sun keeps driving straight as an arrow. And then we reach the last few miles with Spirit City in sight. He hollers out the window to us, hey, pull up as close as you can to me. So, so we get the car right up next to his, parallel, just flying down the road. And then in something you would, you would only see maybe in a Fast and Furious movie, 
he gives us two pieces of wood through the windows of both cars, and he says, use one to hold the steering wheel in place and the other to keep the gas pedal down. After we do, he opens his back seat driver's side door and calls out, jump. So we go to our back seat, and, and timing it just right, we jump into the back seat of his vehicle as ours continues in its wayward direction before finally jumping off of the edge of a cliff and falling to its doom below. We breathe a sigh of relief and say, thanks, that was a close one. But the son isn't in the front seat of his vehicle. He's nowhere to be found. Turns out while we were jumping in his lawmobile at the last possible second, he was jumping into ours. And those two pieces of wood, well, they sent him to his death. It's then that we remember what the Father says. You are responsible for what happens to your car. Whatever happens to it happens to you. As it turns out, the Son traded places with us. And as we see the beginnings of a beautiful place in the distance, we notice that somebody else is now driving the car in the son's place. He wears a name tag that says, hello, my name is the Holy Spirit. And he turns and says to us, we are here. Welcome to Spirit City. Verses two through four. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. That's what's being condemned here. Make sure you note that. That's where the condemnation's going for those in Christ Jesus, on the sin, not on us. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Pause right there. I struggled with how to communicate all the depth and magnitude found in just these three verses. The story just presented to you, that parable, is my effort to do this, but even it falls woefully short. Earthly metaphors just don't cut it. They all fail to fully encapsulate the majesty and wonder of God's redemptive work through Jesus. But look at the beginning of verse 3. God gave the law, an external list of rules and ordinances that if followed perfectly would bring us into an eternal relationship with him. Kind of like the lawmobile, there's nothing wrong with the law. It could be described as, chapter 7, verse 12, holy, righteous, good. The problem was not with the lawmobile, remember, but with the driver's. And the problem is not with the law, but rather with us, the law receivers. So in our main text, at the beginning of verse 3, God had to do what the law could not do because it was weakened by the flesh, by us drivers, the dummies behind the wheel. So rather than serve, rather than the law serving as the vehicle towards re relationship and communion and justification before God, 
it was actually, and weirdly, it was the vehicle of sin. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Look at this with me. Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. If it had not been for the law, Paul writes, I wouldn't have known sin. For I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And he continues in verse 9 to explain that sin seized an opportunity through the law. I mean, technically, I would have never swerved, if not for the car. And just as the lawmobile eventually leads to a crashy death, so we must say about the law, even though there's particularly nothing really wrong with it, because none of it could keep it perfectly. That's why it's called, if you look at the end of verse 2, it's called the law of sin and death. So what's God going to do? He sends his own son, verse 3, and underline those words, his own son, because when one of my co-patriots, Lord willing, shares a message with you on verse 32, you're going to see that again, and it's going to really be brought home powerfully. His son, back to verse 3, is in the likeness of sinful flesh. He goes to Fleshtown. He's a driver like those in Fleshtown. He looks like he's from Fleshtown, but make no mistake, he thinks, he talks, he acts like somebody from Spirit City. So Paul is careful to say he's only in the likeness of sinful flesh. Through what Jesus has done, verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Remember, the only way to get to Spirit City is through the lawmobile. And it's something, what took place is something of a switcheroo on a freaky Friday, or we might call it a freaky good Friday. We get to ride in his car and get credit as the driver, that perfect lawmobile that never wobbled or went off course. And he takes our place as the lawbreaker, paying the price for our sin through the cross. In closing, make sure you hear this, though, because it sets the stage for what is to come. The reality is that now, for us who are in Christ Jesus, if you heard the end of the parable, the Spirit is supposed to be driving the car, not us. And we're no longer supposed to be in flesh town, but rather spirit city. And so what does it mean to be spirit led, spirit driven, spirit minded, all consumed with the spirit of God? Lord willing, we'll learn that together next week. But I hope you heard that promise in verse 1. Does it apply to you? Listen one more time. There is, therefore, now, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? 
If not, the invitation is open to you now to come to him. Please come as together we stand and sing. There 